Welcome, a listener, to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 120 of the podcast, and we have another great discussion lined up for you. Actually, this week, we have an interview with Mark Lemmert of 6502 Workshop. This is the team. He is kind of the uh, one of the main developers, and 6502 Workshop are the team currently building Nox Archaist. It's an 8-bit Apple II CRPG, very, very heavily inspired by the Ultima series. Uh, so much so, well, you know, it was a spoiler alert when we recorded the episode, but now it can be told that, you know, yeah, Lord British is going to be an NPC that appears in the game. So that's kind of cool. And uh, yes, they are currently actually on Kickstarter. They are running a Kickstarter campaign, and you'll hear more about that in the episode here. Um, running a Kickstarter campaign, basically just to finance, like the development of the game is going to happen regardless, but they are trying to finance the development of a limited run of game boxes and printed manuals and cloth maps and all sorts of good feelies. It's already a successful campaign. I think they started with a goal of 8500 US dollars and they were at like almost $20,000 after the first day. So congratulations already to 6502 workshop and to the good Mr. Lambert. But anyways, here is that interview with him about Nox Archaist, about the Kickstarter campaign, about other things as well. Um, it's a good one. It was a really great discussion. Just a reminder, of course, we are now hosted on Anchor.fm. The podcast is, it's a new and much more social podcast hosting platform and free to use, by the way, if you want to start your own podcast. You can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast, or you can go to our website, spam, 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 humbug.com, and you can take advantage at Anchor of some of the community features there. You can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration, or you can give our episodes applause. And if you're actually listening in the Anchor app on iOS or Android, you can favorite individual episodes or the podcast itself. For those of you who do the smart home thing, Anchor also uh, automatically brought us to the uh, Apple HomePod. So you can say, hey Siri, play the podcast Spam 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 Humbug, and I apologize if I just made your phone play a podcast. Likewise, you can find us on Google Home. Try saying, hey Google, play the podcast Spam 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 Humbug. And as always, this episode of Spam 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 Humbug is brought to you by our Patreon backers. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means. And especially a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Chris, Brickbat, Dominic, Violation, Cranberry, Christopher, Bruce, Darkwraith Dragon, Helgruff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. And now, on to the show. Right. Okay. There. Introduction is out of the way. Right. Hey, before we do, I just I have sure. a quick curiosity question for uh, for you. The uh, the name of your podcast, Spam 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 Humbug, is that uh, inspired by the Spam 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 Monty Python skit by any chance? No. No, it's not. Okay. Well, no. um, how did you, you ever? With that? Uh, oh, I didn't. Have you ever? Um, Doctor Cat did. Ah, okay, sure. I've, I've uh, talked to him a few times. Yes, he came up with it in about maybe 1990, 1991. Oh, wow. Have you ever, have you ever played Ultima 6? Yes. Have you ever used the cheat mode in Ultima 6? I don't think so. I actually haven't played it since the early 90s, uh, but I don't recall using the cheat mode. Well, if you ever have occasion to play it again, talk to YOLO sometime and say the word spam, then hit enter. Say the word spam, then hit enter. Say the word spam, then hit enter. And say the word humbug, and hit enter. And see what happens. There's a nice little Easter egg that Dr. Cat left in there, huh? <laughs> yes, I imagine this was probably also useful for like playtesting and whatnot, but it uh, it never got released. Or sorry, it never got removed before the game was released. So, uh, yeah. I, spam, spam, humbug is a, is a cheat code for Ultima 6, my favorite of the Ultima games, and so it kind of seemed uh, an alright name to adopt for the podcast. Wonderful. I, I, I can't you know think of a better derivation of a name for a Ultima-related uh, uh, podcast. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> there you go. Alright, so um, Mark, Mark Lemmert. Lemmert, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Awesome. First try. Uh, 
Well, welcome or welcome back. I mean, obviously, we have spoken about Nox Archaist before, although that's an unreleased episode. I don't know if it's ever going to see the light of day, but uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good to talk again, for sure. Um, Absolutely. Gosh, it was, what, like a year and a half ago, I think, since we last had a conversation. I was in Ireland at the time, fending off a hurricane. I think and, so, yeah. Yeah, and you were in the middle of, I believe, the first uh, Kickstarter campaign for Nox Archaist. Yes, uh, that that sounds about right. We were getting into the last week, uh, if I recall, for that campaign. Rightio. So, um, obviously then, you know, the game has been in development for a little while, and you did make an attempt at crowdfunding it, although that uh, Kickstarter campaign was cancelled. But, f- maybe let's start with the more obvious question. So, um, who are you, and what is this game that we've now mentioned the title of two or three times? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm Nox Arcast and my game is Mark Lemmer. Oh, no, I got that backwards. Um, well, you... uh, a lot of long hours uh, of coding here. Uh, my name yes. is Mark Lemmer, uh, and uh, I've, uh, I, I love games. I love CRPG games, especially. Uh, games are uh, my hobby. It's where I started on computers in the 1980s when I was five years old. Uh, it's what got me hooked, and... Uh, uh, it has been my goal ever since uh, to uh, create a uh, uh, in, in inspired by games like Ultima Wizardry and Bard's Tale, create a CRPG uh, like those um, mighty titles of the 80s that many of us uh, know and love. And uh, my uh, uh, career, rather than going down a track of game programming, as you know, life has its twists and turns. Uh, ended up into a mix of IT, business, and finance uh, within the technology industry. I've been doing that for over 20 years and uh, reached a point where I decided to uh, take everything that I've learned and go back and learn some things uh, about the Apple II that uh, uh, I didn't learn in the 1980s and uh, dive in and create uh, that game that I've always wanted to make, uh, and that's uh, that's Nox Arcaeus. so Nox Archaeist is a, uh, in summary, uh, a tile-based 8-bit sword and sorcery uh, role-playing game inspired by Ultima. Uh, it's developed on uh, the uh, Apple II and also playable on uh, modern Windows PCs and Macs. Uh, gameplay technology weighs in somewhere between Ultima 5 and uh, Ultima 6. And, uh, you know, basically we're, we're picking up where... 8-bit turn-based uh, tile RPGs left off. Um, our goal is to uh, push the frontier, and while standing on the shoulders of uh, you know the giants that came before us in the 80s, uh, to see what might have happened uh, if development on uh, 8-bit RPGs had continued um, uh, over over the course of uh, over the years that followed. And uh, it's been a really uh, exciting time uh, uh, doing that, and I look forward to uh, to sharing it with everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you almost, I think, answered the question that I would have had next, which is, you know, why that platform? Because it's not as though, you know, it's weird almost to, to use language of, you know, pushing the frontiers when we're considering a computer system like the Apple II. But, you <laughs> <Sure>. know, <laughs> but at, the, uh, at the same time, I think you kind of just... It, teased an answer for that question uh right at the end there when you know you talk about sort of trying to extrapolate where um 2d rpgs in the uh 2d 8-bit rpgs might have gone sort of in the post ultima 5 era um you know obviously that was a significant there, there was a significant transition that happened in rpg development and ultima was right there in the thick of it because you know um Ultima 5 was developed for the Apple II and other platforms as well. And then in considering the technology they would need to make Ultima 6 a reality, you know, Origin at that point made the decision to make the jump to the MS-DOS-based PC. Um, So definitely uh, a significant era for for 8-bit gaming and kind of also the the (laughs) point at which it came to a crashing halt, I suppose. Um, maybe not a crashing halt. That might be the wrong word to use, but all right. So an eventual eventual transition certainly happened there uh, fairly rapidly. And, you know, that that really, uh, I'm glad to hear you're you're interested in that aspect of it because it really 
touches on, I think, the heart of what Knox Arcadis is is all about as as a project. I mean, it's going to be a fun game, obviously. Uh, that's the the intention. But uh, in terms of what really, what's it really about? What's it doing on the? Why are we doing it on the Apple II platform? Why why is it different than other you know things that are made on the Apple II? What makes it special and unique? It really gets into what what you just talked about about that transition between Ultima Five and Ultima Six. You know, as uh, uh, is, is fairly widely known, uh, Ultima Six was attempted to be developed on the Apple II by Origin, and it, and it eventually got discontinued and then only released on the PC. Uh, so they they made that decision at some point of okay, we we pushed the Apple as far as it's commercially viable to go. Time to make that jump to the PC, and then you know there would have been a multitude of factors swirling around in that, including PCs growing market share and things like that. Uh, from a technological perspective. Uh, we're trying to explore what's in between. You know, Ultima 6, as you probably recall, uh, made this huge leap from Ultima 5 in terms of you went from uh, Ultima 5, fundamentally a big map by 8-bit standards, but you had towns and castles that you stepped onto the tile icon for and hit E to enter, and it sort of took you through a wormhole to a separate town and castle map. And then you right, go to Ultima, scale. Ultima 6, and... The world is just one map. It got blown up and scaled to the extent that, uh, you know, there is no inside and outside. <laughs> you know, it's all, right. it's all yeah. there. Um, and, and that just, you know, completely uh, blows the uh, 8-bit platforms out of the water to do something like that, as well as a multitude of other capabilities that Ultima 6 had. So I, I, I can see why Origin made the decision that they did. But the interesting thing is, that it doesn't mean that Ultima 5 had maxed out the machine. Uh, I, I didn't know coming into this, and that's what I wanted to find out, you know, so what else could be done? And uh, what I found is that, uh, yeah, there there is a material uh, gap in between there that could have been exploited on the Apple II had it made commercially sense to do, which, of course, it didn't. Um, but since this game, Nox Arcaeist, isn't about commercialization, it's about you know, the love of retro computing and games and, you know, things like that. We have the luxury of, uh, you know, going down these little rabbit holes. And uh, what we found is that it's possible to create a tile RPG on uh, an 8-bit platform where uh, it has things like NPC schedules um, and, uh, you know, cool spell effects and uh, uh, things, uh, uh, coastlines that are uh, angled and not squared, things that Ultima 5 had. We found that it's possible to have those things and additionally uh, have uh, uh, features beyond that uh, that haven't been uh, that had not been seen, at least on uh, Apple II uh, RPGs before, such as uh, four tile mobs. Uh, suddenly that giant physically on the screen looks way bigger, you know, than the player, for example, or swimming uh, in lakes and uh, along the coastline. Uh, Having uh, the player icon or mob icons be visually graphically hidden when standing in tall grass terrain, uh, and and many many more. Uh, we, we've we've uh, been able to uh, very uh, excitingly <laughs> uh, introduce mm. a, a whole variety of uh, of features like that that we think is going to give uh, the player a, a, just a really fun and uh, 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 gameplay experience in Nox or Chaos that's going to very much bring them back to the games they loved in the eighties and feel like the next chapter. Nice. And it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, some of those features in particular, right? Things like, I mean, four tile mobs, you know, that is something that one can think of from, from Ultima six, uh, Hydra's Cyclopses. There were some very big monsters roaming around <laughs> Britannia. And, uh, but yet at the same time, you've also mentioned some, um, some things that kind of go beyond what Ultima six featured, right? Like, I don't recall tall grass being a thing in Ultima Six, for example. I recall that there was a grassy texture, but that's not the same thing. Um, swimming definitely not a thing in in Ultima Six. There there were boats, or else water was basically impassable. Um, so you know, in some ways, it almost sounds like you're even finding ways to sort of step beyond where Origin took their technology um, and doing so on. The, the Apple II on that 8-bit platform. So that's actually, that's actually really awesome. And, you know, um, kudos, to, kudos to you for, for figuring out ways to do that. 
Thank you. Yeah. Is it just you working on the game or do you have uh, other people helping you? Well, uh, the project started out as a team of two, uh, myself and uh, my project co-founder, Mike Reimer. Uh, and it uh, grew over the course of the three years that we've been doing this. It grew into a team of uh, 11, actually. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, definitely, we're definitely a large group. Um, I, uh, I tend to burn uh, a lot of the, uh, of the midnight oil. I'm uh, the, uh, the game engine programmer, the uh, lead game designer, project manager, finance guy, and, you know, <laughs> all, all, all that kind of role. This is my baby, uh, so to speak. Uh, and uh, the, as, the, as the team evolved, it, it, it is essentially what we found is that, uh, or Mike and I found, is that uh, we weren't the only ones this excited, you know, to, to do a project like this. There were a lot of talented people out there that wanted to do something like this, but really just didn't have the time to approach it because it is awfully intimidating the kind of time commitment this represents. And I'm in the fortunate position to be able to uh, to, to really put a lot of time into the project, and, mo- and most people understandably aren't. But when uh, some some of the talented people out there in the retro community started to see what what Mike and I had gotten going, they were like, "Hey, yeah, is there something I can do to help?" You know, and you know maybe they only have a couple hours here and there, but have a skill that I don't have that Mike doesn't have that uh, is is very useful to the project. Um, and uh, you know that ranges from um, you know, we've got uh, uh, Michael Peresky uh, uh, is one of our, our team members. He's uh, a professional um, uh, game developer, even worked for Electronic Arts back in the 1980s. And, you know, so it's like his his job to do this stuff is so he doesn't have time to, you know, go back and like make a retro game, even though he'd like to. But he had some time. And so he's given us a lot of great, you know, general advice and had enough time to do some programming. Uh, uh, on our awesome uh, double high-res splash screen, um, which turned out way better than I could have ever done it. And so there, bam, there was a really key visual piece of the game right when you start up uh, that, uh, you know, ended up uh, extra, extra awesome because of uh, his talents coming in to to do that. So, and that's happened across the project with uh, different contributions here and there. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's interesting you know like even right from the 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 start of the game you're you're kind of demonstrating um that uh that willingness to sort of try and push the limits of what hardware is really supposed to be able to do right you know something like the the double resolution uh splash image that's cool so absolutely um, yes and i so i guess maybe just uh uh uh, a few technical questions come to mind because of course, um, probably good to, and, and I mean, obviously, you know, if I ask anything that's maybe a little too spoilery, you don't want to give it away. That's totally fine. Just let me know. Um, but you know, using maybe something like Ultima five as a touch point here, um, you know, gosh, where to start? Like how big of a game world, for example, are we talking about in Nox Archaeist? Sure. Uh, that's a great question, and uh, give, giving you kind of a two-part answer. Um, the Nexar Chaos is going to be uh, for the for the floppy disk version, uh, as opposed to the the, uh, the emulator version. Uh, the floppy disk version is going to be on four physical five and a quarter floppy disks that are double sided, so eight disk sides on four physical disks, which happens to be exactly the number of disks and disk sides that Ultima 5 was. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, it's a ni- eight is just a nice round number. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Uh, and a very ultimate uh, number. A very, very ultimate number. Um, and, and, and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't really intentional. It just kind of worked out that way. But, uh, regardless that, you know, everything, things are, are different from one game engine to the next and how it, you know, processes comment content and relates to real time. Uh, but just when you get down to the raw number of bytes of data on the disks, yeah, it's gonna uh, it's gonna be pretty comparable to Ultima Five in terms of the amount of content. They're just you know dictated by disk size, on um, disk size, uh, and um, on uh, in terms of the size of the game world, a- another great metric on um, the game world is also going to be in terms of like the overworld on um, towns, castles. Uh, 
dungeons being a separate matter, but the the overworld is going to be 256 tiles by 256 tiles, which is actually the same size as the Ultima 5 game world. Again, not exactly intentional, but uh, as, as you may know, 256 is kind of a magic number in, in binary and uh, hexadecimal. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot of technical forces that push me as a programmer towards doing things by powers of two. And it was like, okay, so is our map going to be 64 by 64, 128 by 128, or 256 by 256? Any, any other choice in between just doesn't make technological sense because of the way the, the math works. Um, uh, but, uh, so in that regard, it should be, you know, a nice familiar overworld size, uh, to, uh, uh, uh to players of Ultima 5. I think where, where, where it's going to differ, deviate, uh, more is getting into the rest of the content as far as the, uh, the numbers of, of castles and dungeons and towns. Uh, there's, there's the, quite a difference between Nox or Chaos and, uh, in Ultima Five, in that regard, and and in some ways not even comparable. We the approach that we took to dungeons is totally different, uh, and, and and in a way that I think uh, players are going to find very interesting. Uh, and and I don't want to give too much away on that, but that's why it's not even a one to one sort of a comparable. On uh, and uh, you know as a result of making investments in things like this unique approach to dungeons, and uh, we've got some. Uh, uh, building types, for lack of a better word, uh, that, that didn't appear in Ultima at all, uh, such as ruins. You can enter ruined castles uh, in Nox or Chaos, and uh, they, they actually look ruined. We, we've got a different tile set for each location type, over a thousand tiles uh, in oh, wow. the game in total. And so uh, we, we took the castle tile set that's all polished and nice and neat looking, and when you go into one of these ruins, uh, our artist uh, went in there and started punching holes in the walls and breaking chains on the drawbridge and pretty much just ruined the place. I mean, so it looks like a <laughs> and, like, nice. uh, like you would you would expect. So that, that, that which which gives that nice refreshing uh, you know change of scenery there. And uh, so anyway, th- that was a type of location that didn't exist uh, in at least the early Ultimas. And uh, so again, it gets back to you know, investment. So we, we invested in that different type of location. We invested in doing dungeons differently. And, and so there were some trade-offs there. There aren't quite as many towns, for example, as there were in Ultima, but, uh, the, uh, there actually is a town though, that, uh, uh, is, is like uh, quadruple size on, uh, like it's, uh, uh, a port, big port city and has four quarters, uh, like the docks quarter, the merchants quarter, uh, a quarter where, like you know, the thieves' guild hangs out and things like that, and uh, the Margraves' quarter, and 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 it's it's one big town that's basically like four town maps that are connected together, uh, which is another reason there's less towns because one of them is particularly big and has some interesting um, scenarios in it, uh, and and that's that. that uh, I I keep wandering off topic here trying to answer your question, but uh, no, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, so, something else we try to do is blur the lines a bit as far as what's a a friendly versus hostile environment, and what's a questing, you know, kind of uh, in, in environment versus, uh, um, you know, uh, where, where your your quest recovery, you know, going to the healer and selling your stuff at the merchant. That was all very defined in Ultima. It was okay. Towns and castles are friendly, and that's where you go after you've been in out in the wilds to, you know, recover. Uh, and, uh, in Ox or Chaos, you know, that feel is there a lot, but it's not universal. And mm-hmm. you, you could go into a town and run into something hostile. You could go into a town and run into a quest that involves, you know, doing something and completing something in that town with, with potentially some enemies to deal with. And, uh, I thought that was a really fun way to kind of mix it up a little bit. Definitely. And uh, you had mentioned something like, you had mentioned NPC schedules, so I'm assuming that implies a day-night cycle as well. Yes. Okay. Um, One thing that I've always wondered about is, like, I mean, obviously, my, my arrival point at Ultima was actually 
Ultima 6. And so I have a pretty good idea of how like NPC schedules work, um, you know, in Ultima 6. But, uh, you know, even having gone back and played some of the early Ultimas, it, I, uh, I don't know. I, I've not really been that much of a fan of the dual scale map approach to date. Um, and I, I guess I'm just wondering like how, uh, how do you handle NPC schedules in a dual scale map context? You know, like does the game keep track of each NPC's location all the time? Or is it kind of a case of where like I enter a town and it quickly looks at the time of day and just puts everybody where they need to be? The latter. Okay. The latter. Memory, of course, is very tight on on an (laughs) 8-bit machine. So we're swapping information uh, between disk and memory all the time. And uh, you know, that's, uh, as a result, uh, you know, for anybody that's played a floppy game, you know, that, that's why you get, you know, you know, your, your, your drive running light delays so that you can, you know, grab a snack sometimes <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you enter that dungeon, it's going to you know, take a little, I mean, I, I might be exaggerating a bit, you know, entering a town or a dungeon, you might be talking about a 10 second disc load if you're playing it on floppy. Sure. Uh, uh, so it, it's really not that bad, but, uh. Uh, it's, 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 uh, but as compared to instant, anybody that, that, you know, playing Ultima six would remember load times basically being pretty non-existent when going from place to place. Cause it was a, uh, if I recall, it was a hard rate based game at that point, yeah. um, or, or, or at a minimum, uh, on much faster, uh, three and a half inch disc drive. But, um, so yeah, it, to, to end, bottom line answer your question. Uh, it's towns, castles, places where NPCs exist, the map data, the schedule data, uh, objects that are on them, all that gets loaded at the time that you enter that location. And it kicks out of memory everything about the overworld uh, where you came from, <laughs> which gets put back later. Uh, and, and just as, as a quick side note, since, since we just grazed the subject of, you know, load times. Uh, so, uh, uh, Nox Archaeus was optimized to the Apple II five and a quarter platform. Uh, if for no other reason to stay absolutely true, uh, to the, um, uh, to, to the architecture of an 8-bit game from, from that era. Uh, and, uh, it doesn't mean that anybody has to play it that way. You can, you know, pull out your five and a quarters on your Apple IIe or, or other Apple II, good to go. Uh, but you can also play it using uh, uh, modern uh, aftermarket hard drives that can be installed in an Apple II computer, and then the load times just go away, uh, but you're still sitting there at your Apple II. <laughs> yes. uh, or, of course, through uh, on, a, on a modern Mac uh, or, uh, or Windows uh, PC, you know, when you're playing in an emulator, um, you don't have to use floppy disk images. Nox for Chaos will be available on a hard drive disk image that'll pop right into an emulator and uh you know away you go no disk load times you know so no nobody has to put up with that if they don't want to but uh we designed it you know optimized it around that so so that nothing that we're doing is cheating so to speak everything that happens in Nox or chaos would have been an enjoyable gameplay experience on five and a quarter floppy back in the 1980s brilliant um are you developing on an actual apple II? Well, that's a great question. And uh, uh, the thought crossed my mind of doing that at the beginning of the project. And, and I have written assembly language code on an, an actual Apple II in, in modern day. Um, but uh, <laughs> I thought that was a bridge too far. And, and uh, I, I did, in fact, decide to write the code using a cross-assembler on uh, on a development environment I have that actually spans both a Mac and a PC for some bizarre reasons. Uh, but uh, so when I'm developing it, I'm uh, you know I, I, I'm definitely not going through the tediousness that uh, Richard Garriott and uh, our uh, heroes of the past uh, somehow managed to persevere through. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I drew graphics, tile graphics on graph paper once. You know, like Richard Garriott will describe in some of uh, his his interviews, and how yes. you know you got to got to plot out the pixels, and then convert it to binary, and then flip it uh, uh, flip it around, and then convert it to hex, and then load that in there. And when it doesn't work, wonder where you made the mistake. And I I did that a few times, you know, to make sure that I understood the process. 
Uh, and, you know, just nostalgically, I was like, okay, so <laughs> what would this have been like to do it that way? What was this actually like? <laughs> On tile number three, I was creating something in modern tools uh, to to be able to, uh, uh, you know, do, the, do, do those calculations. So with, with the graphics, I basically got a template in a spreadsheet and I turned the cells on and off uh, for the different pixels. And then I wrote a whole bunch of formulas that take the status of zero or one in the respective spreadsheet cells and do those binary to hex conversions and use this concatenate to wrap it up into a hexadecimal table uh, that I can copy and paste uh, right into the source code in the cross assembler and uh, just cut right through it. So uh, as a result, uh, I'm able to uh, write code and see the results in an emulator within a matter of 60 seconds or so it takes to like run a build, you know, <laughs> so it's probably a lot uh, faster than things were at origin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back, back in those days, I mean, they couldn't even run a build, uh, running a build was a big deal. You know, it was like you, you, they're breaking the game down into units. So uh, things that will fit into the memory of an Apple II at one time. And, uh, you know, the concept of like actually building the entire game and running it was something that was reserved for, rare occasions, uh, not something that was done to like, oh, well, let me change this line and see if the bug goes away. <laughs> so that's been definitely a huge uh, advantage uh, and, and time advantage to, uh, to doing the project. And, uh, and, and also why it's even, you know, practical to do in the sense that, you know, Ultima 5 was written by a team of, I don't know how many people, 10, a dozen, it was a lot of full-time people at Origin. Uh, that we're, we're, we're going through the, uh, the tedious method of, of, of building something uh, on, on the platforms at that time. Uh, whereas, uh, uh, you know, granted, like I said, we're a team of 11, but not 11 full-time people, you know. Right, <laughs> the, right, 11 hobbyists. Full-time hour output is, is probably close to, closer to one or two people, you know, aggregate. Right. So, uh, and, and we're three years in, you know, we'll probably finish the game you know, uh, in four years, I think Ultima five took four or five years. So in, in effect with one or two full-time equivalents of people, we will have been able to produce a game that took like a dozen people five years as a result of the advantage of the modern tools. Um, I, I think that would, would, is really what it chalks up to. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, there's something to be said for, it. it is good, like you say, to understand um, you know, just some of the, the tediousness of the process and just, just so you can kind of, you know, understand where, yeah, you're coming yeah. from, but at the same time, it's like, you know, yeah. Okay, fine. Like, uh, I, I, I understand that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I understand that driving a car was once a, a much more, you know, like before automatic steering, it was harder to steer the car. And I understand that, you know, the differences between a standard and an automatic transmission, but I still like my power steering and I still like my automatic transmission. And these are nice things to have. And it's just nice to have those conveniences <laughs> of modernity uh, to, to help Absolutely. ease a lot of the, yeah, the, the, the pain points. Cool. Um, I guess I should ask what the title means. I mean, I kind of have a, a, a loose grasp of some basic Latin, but uh Yes. What does the title sure. mean? Nox Archaist. Sure. So, well, that's a great question. And uh, uh, it, it, it definitely means something very important within the game. And uh, interestingly, when we came up with the title, uh, it didn't mean anything at first. We, we came up with the title for the game before writing the storyline. And it was uh, one, one of the talents of my co-founder, Mike Reimer, is to... Uh, to 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 uh, play around with with words and you know research Latin and Nordic and Gothic and you know different types of words and uh, do like uh, endograms and you know different ways of rearranging the letters and words. He's just really good at that. And so he started coming up with these lists of words that might be interesting for a title. And uh, we literally picked two out of these lists. In Knox was one word we picked, and, and then Archaeus was another. We're like, boy, those kind of go together because Knox in Latin, of course, means night or dark, and Archaeus is, you know, like the study of old things. And we thought, okay, something about, you know, darkness and 
you know, ancient stuff, you know, there's, there's gotta be a good story for CRPG in there somewhere. So, uh, so, so that was, was where the, the title came from is, is basically picking a name that we thought would be, um, that, that sounded cool. That was unique. You know, we t- went out and Googled it and there was nothing, you know, cause we, we, we certainly, uh, wanted people to be able to find us once they heard the name. Uh, and then was also sufficiently broad that it wouldn't constrain us uh, in in actually developing uh, the storyline when the time came. Um, so that's that's how it got created. And uh, it's actually, uh, you know, at this point, kind of uh, I've been having so much fun with it being a mystery that I haven't I haven't revealed what it actually means in the game. Uh, and it's not obvious. <laughs> So I think that's right. I like to let players have fun uh, exploring and finding out. Okay, cool. So as we uh, as we mentioned back at the start of this whole conversation, of course, you had previously brought the game to Kickstarter once before, um, but ended that campaign prematurely, and now you are headed back to that crowdfunding platform that is i believe going to take place in early may and uh so why don't you tell us a little bit about um the decision to return to to kickstarter to relaunch the campaign and uh what your goals are with it sure yeah absolutely so um i think that one really important uh topic to address uh, to, uh, to to all of the uh, the, the people that I'm so very grateful to who backed the first Kickstarter, on uh, and anybody who is aware of it is uh, what happened. You know, we're, we 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 tried once and now we're, we're trying again. And what happened? Why is it going to be different? You know, those are the questions that I would be asking. On um, and uh, yes, here, definitely. Here's, here's the answer. Uh, so so basically, um, as far as I know, Nox Arcaeus is the second. 8-bit RPG to launch a crowdfunding campaign, uh, and the first developed on an Apple II. Uh, and as a result, the first time around, we really had to guess as to how many people would be interested and, and how to structure the campaign to deliver what people uh, would, would be most interested in. Um, this time around, uh, we know what to expect, and we've made adjustments, ultimately resulting in a much lower funding goal uh, and lower tier prices, making it much easier for the campaign to uh, to hit the target. Uh, and we're able to do this because uh, we took over a year since the first campaign, actually close to a year and a half, uh, to find vendors uh, with low, lower or no order minimums for the materials on the physical rewards. Uh, ah. And now that we know what to expect, uh, we're confident that we can handle the assembly and shipping in-house uh, rather than uh, outsourcing it to a third party like we had budgeted for uh, the first time, uh, and yeah, that's uh, that that's that's what it is is driving. Uh, like I said, our ability to have uh, lower funding goals, lower tier prices, and uh, you know, if we have uh, the support that we did the first time, we should have no problem hitting the goal. I'm I'm very confident that. Uh, you know, we're going to nail it and uh, put into uh, the hands of uh, uh, our wonderful backers uh, a, a wonderful boxed uh, uh, classic R- RPG, CRPG, uh, complete with a cloth map, printed manual, and uh, lots of feelies, game artifacts, and, uh, you know, really uh, share the, uh, the, the, the whole... Uh, 8-bit RPG experience just like they bought the game off the shelf of their computer store in the 1980s. Definitely. Um, and so like, I mean, and you, you've kind of already mentioned that, you know, you're you're all hobbyists pursuing this. You're not in it for really the financial gain. So a, a large, the, the, the basic intent of the Kickstarter is, you know, um, to sort of fulfill this passion project to, um, to, to ultimately release the game in some physical way that you know uh, allows other people to sort of basically you know you're you're gauging just how much of an audience there is for a physical copy of the game and then you know being able to present that to the people that want it yep if i yeah absolutely and uh and and to that point um something i did want to mention is is that the game itself nox or chaos will be released regardless of the outcome of the kickstarter 
Uh, you know, we're a volunteer team of people who love CRPGs. Uh, we're doing this on the side. Nobody's depending on the project for income. Uh, you know, the Kickstarter funding is, you know, ju- just, you know, what we need to produce the physical uh, rewards to, to, to go along with the, the actual, uh, you know, game itself. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the game, the game will be done regardless. And, and I, and I want to emphasize this because I know there certainly have been, uh, you know, Kickstarters for games on kick, uh, Kickstarters for games that, uh, have not worked out and, and, uh, uh, the, uh, the backers didn't get, uh, you know, the awards and things like that. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, uh, I, I don't think uh, a, a concern uh, with us because we're, we're just we're just approaching it a, a lot differently, um, and uh, we're not we're not raising money to you know hire people you know for example right. and all the uh, risks and uncertainties that comes around with project budgeting when you know that's going on just just don't exist here you know this is just a matter of you know we raise the money to cover the cost of uh, the materials and we were doing the game anyway so <laughs> nice. Um, Ah, so I guess just a little bit more on the feelings. I mean, you've already mentioned the cloth map, um, manual. So that's probably going to follow kind of the trajectory of, um, like the good old Ultima manuals of old or, or will it, right? Like, is it going to be just a sort of a straight up user manual? Here's how you play the game. Or is there going to be an element of, you know, um, it is itself part of the story. It's, it's very much going to be a lore, uh, driven manual on, and uh, we we haven't written it yet. Uh, the man the manual is uh, uh, I, I should say uh, there's we have not polished it yet. There's a lot of information that we have in an outline, uh, but we haven't actually molded that into its final form. But essentially, what 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 we have left to do is to strike a balance between how to communicate the information in a lore based manner. Uh, while at the same time making sure to cover uh, some of the basics, you know, like you said, the user interface, you know, things like that. There's just some information that people are going to need to know. Uh, and and I'm not sure whether we'll be able to communicate it all in, in sort of a lore voice uh, or, or not. I, we're going to try. Uh, but worst case, um, you know, there'll be a quick reference card or something. I was to about to say. Hit the down and dirty, you know, but we, we definitely want to give that experience of opening up the manual and you're opening up with a part of the story, so to speak. You know, that's one of the things I love so much about uh, the ultimate. Definitely. I mean, yes, my original copy of the compendium for Ultima six became so, so thumbed through at some point. Uh, I'm glad I have a fresh copy now, but. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, part of the experience. (laughs) Definitely. Um, All right. Well, there was a question that I had just right on the tip of my tongue and then it fell off of that and I'll try and get it back. Um, but I guess I could ask you, Oh, right here. It was, um, sort of a two part question. And, you know, if you've already answered this, well then, you know, I mean, feel free to repeat yourself a little bit, but, um, you know, you say you've been working on, uh, Nox Archaeist for three ish years now. Um, in that time, what do you think has been your favorite part of of bringing the game to fruition and similarly what has been your least favorite part oh those are good questions um it's so hard to choose a favorite um and and i I talk to other retro game developers from time to time and and they you know i tend to hear things like you know oh i love the programming and i hate the design or i you know, love the design or I hate the programming or, you know, it does seem like most people have a favorite. And so far I've really enjoyed, uh, each aspect of, of, of the project. And I, I think the only uh, point where it felt tedious to me was when I, I, I was not alternating between, uh, the three core activities of storytelling uh, game content design uh, and and programming. There was a point where I was just focused on the game engine. I was like, I wanted this game engine completely done or nearly completely done before doing anything with the story uh, or the content because the plan was I'm going to build the story and content around the game engine following Richard Garriott's method that yes. he uh, talked about 
number of occasions, let the story flow, you know, from the engine. And, uh, and, 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 and ultimately that's what I did and it worked out great, but I almost, I think went too far with it because, uh, I can't remember exactly where I was in the process, maybe year two, uh, <laughs> two, two solid years of, <laughs> of games and programming. And, and it's like, I started to get to a point of like, oh, and I've got this much left, you know, and it started to drag on me a little bit. And, and I, and I got to a point I decided, okay, I, I just, I just need to stop. And, you know, yes, there's some things that I want to do with this yet, but I'm going to push them off, uh, you know, onto a side list. And at that point, you know, the game engine was like 95% done. Um, and, and I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm just going to dive into the story and then dive into the content and start creating the world. And when I get to a point where I'm missing some programming to glue something, you know, together that I'm doing with the content, then I'll go and do that part of the programming and I'll have the satisfaction of seeing the results of that programming do something really cool on screen in, in terms of like tying together a part of the actual game. Um, and, and I found that to, I was so glad that I shifted gears and did that. Um, and, and that made everything so much more, uh, you know, exciting after, uh, or, or, or re made it exciting over again, you know, after that point. Um, so uh, I guess that I, I, I apologize that I wasn't able to answer the question directly, but that that's what comes to mind when I think about what what do I what did I like and what did I not like about the experience. Oh well, no, that's a great answer because I mean, especially in terms of like you know, um, it it is very easy to sort of you know just yeah dive down a rabbit hole, um, especially when it comes to something you know technical like coding, uh, you know, in your case, an engine, but, yep. you know, I mean, I think probably anybody who's done any kind of programming, uh, serious programming can relate to that. And it's just, you kind of just get that tunnel vision and you just like focus on the code, focus on the code. And it, I mean, programming is an enjoyable thing in general, I find, but at some point, yeah, you just, sure. you hit this threshold where you just like, I just know more of this. And, you know, that is, you know, you hit that point with, you know, with even like high level elegant languages. I'm assuming you're building a lot of this game in like a lower level, almost machine code type language. Yeah. hundred percent 6502 assembly. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, that is, that is a very, very long, deep, dark rabbit hole to be diving down for an extended length of time for sure. Um, so yeah, it's good to, it's good to come up for uh, a bit of air and just, you know, put that aside for a bit, work on something else. And, you know, like you say, it kind of, you know, helps to, to, to refocus and revitalize things when you actually do get back to the technical side. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it worked out really well. Yes, definitely. Well, and I'm sure the game will be, uh, will be the better for it. Um, there's not currently any sort of like playable demo or anything. Is there? Not not publicly. Uh, there there is a uh, what what I call the Nox Archaeus Alpha uh, that uh, I have uh, shared internally with the team uh, and uh, with uh, a, a couple uh, 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 project advisors, uh, and uh, it's a basically it was a proof of concept uh, that starts at the beginning of the game. And or, or, or nearly the beginning of the game and contains maybe 20% of the total content uh, that, that can be contiguously played through. Um, and uh, that was like the first block of content that I created. And that essentially validated uh, all the features working together at the same time and including balance. Like, what does it feel to progress your characters, your, your party of six uh, characters plus summonable allies uh, that, that you get to have? Uh, uh, progr progressing from level one, two to three, or even finding uh, the characters. Uh, it, it's uh, you start out with one. Uh, you can have up to six, but you have to find them. And you know, people, NPCs that'll join you uh, that are in towns, castles, uh, sometimes even in places not uh, towns or castles, the traditional places to find uh, NPCs to join you. Hint, hint. Mm. Um, and. Uh, you know, just see what does that feel like? What does that pacing feel like? The the alpha really validated a lot of that or invalidated it. Ultimately, 
you know, I created the alpha and, and fixed a bunch of stuff, but it, it was pretty close. Uh, I was actually pretty happy with how close it was to being on point. Awesome. Uh, and, and so that exists and, and, uh, it's going to be, um, or, or, or I meant to say, uh, we didn't release it publicly. We actually had a long debate about that internally as to whether we should release it as a demo. Uh, and, uh, we decided that it would be better not to, um, for uh, a couple of reasons. One is, uh, it would have been, it would have delayed the, the release of the final game because, uh, even though it's playable, it's not necessarily quite in the states that, you know, it, it would be. Uh, I'd want it to be for uh, for for a public release in terms of polish. For sure, uh, that's one. You know, just in the interest of let's let's get the full game out as soon as possible. Uh, and the other was, um, you know, CRPGs are an interesting phenomenon in the modern era in terms of the amount of time that people have. And uh, we started in the discussions, uh, our internal discussions about it, imagining. Uh, so if somebody goes out to, you know, our Kickstarter page and there's this link to this demo and they've got, you know, five minutes before they need to go pick up their kids or go off to night school or whatever they're doing. Right. So, you know, they're going to be tempted to, to, to click on it and spend five minutes on it. And, you know, this isn't Pac-Man. So, you know, you're not going to get in five minutes really, you know, anything but, you know, the tip of the iceberg of the experience. And, and, and rightly or wrongly, what we concluded is that we think, okay, there's CRPG enthusiasts, uh, that, that, like us that want to play a game like this, that will play a game like this, that will get behind a game like this on Kickstarter to get, you know, uh, to make it possible to have the physical game rewards and all of that. Uh, and once that investment has been made, <laughs> you know, and somebody has that game box and that cloth map and all that at home, they'll find the time to go back to, you know, 1989 and relive that experience a few hours at a time, you know, as they can squeeze them out. Uh, but we were afraid that under the modern constraints of five minutes here, five minutes there, as you're popping in and out of YouTube videos or whatever, and we, we just thought that, that uh, it wouldn't really be possible to convey the experience in that format and might ultimately give people the wrong impression about, about the game. That's totally fair. Um, and you kind of, in, in the midst of that explanation, I, I think I caught uh, an indirect confirmation that, you know, you'll create one character as you enter Nox Archaeist and then uh, other party members will be recruited. Yep, absolutely. That's, uh, uh, that is exactly how it works. And uh, it can be up to six. And, and then there's summonable, you know, spells where you can summon uh, uh, ghouls and demons and all sorts of fun stuff awesome. um, and uh the last comment uh, about the uh uh the playable demo uh of, of nox or chaos or alpha if you will is that uh I, I did share it with two video podcasts uh the lost sectors uh podcast and the assembly lines podcast are going to uh shortly have episodes dedicated to basically giving uh giving everyone a tour uh, of that uh, of that playable uh, Nox or Gaius uh, content. Uh, so that, that'll be a way uh, for uh, anybody who's interested to kind of check out and see what does the game actually look like in depth beyond, you know, the sort of the snippet videos that we have out there. Awesome. I've, uh, I'll make sure to include links to both podcasts in the show notes. And if they get the episodes out, I'll link the episodes directly um, by the time this one goes live. Um, awesome. You, you mentioned, you know, you, you talk about sort of the modern uh, gaming context of, you know, drop in for a few minutes, drop out, um, which I totally admit I am uh, in the throes of because of, you know, um, busy with websites, busy with work, busy with podcasts, busy with kids, busy with family. Uh, sometimes exactly. on my phone is all I have. So... Um, and yep. I mean, like, yeah, you know, it happens. And so, uh, just so I know what I'm getting into when, uh, inevitably I do chip in at some level for the Nox Archaeist Kickstarter as I'm able. Um, and I know this is kind of a weird question to ask for any Ultima like game, because, you know, Ultima is the sort of game where you can throw yourself into it. And most of the Ultimas can be passed in relatively short order. 
Um, but they're also the sort of games that you can also lose yourself in for an essentially indefinite amount of time because that's just how the worlds were built. But, yep. you know, if I wanted to just pick up and play Nox Archaeist, start to finish, complete all the quests and then, you know, take in the story, um, at a guess, what kind of, you know, ab- about how much time uh, am I going to be looking at? Uh, the, I would say a good benchmark for that is going to be, uh, for anyone who's played Ultima five, it would be about the same. Uh, but I realize not everybody, uh, has played, uh, Ultima five and, and, uh, you said you jumped in at Ultima six. So, uh, for my memory of Ultima six, it's, 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 it's going to be less than, than what Ultima six took, um, there was there was just so much more content, you know. Once it got into the to the PC, if I were to put a number of hours on it, which I realized was your original question, which I'm dancing around. <laughs> um, the, the, a range is my best is. guess on. Uh, I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, a range is okay too, you know. Okay, uh, I was I was going to say my dark throw is going to be 50 hours, and you know the game is the content is not entirely complete yet, so that's not based on. You know, I, I'm sitting down and, you know, that's how long it took me, you know, on, on a playthrough. But uh, right. I just going through my uh, my mental index of uh, the stickers on game boxes in the 80s and, and that say, you know, how many hours of gameplay it is. OK, I, I would say probably 50. But, you know, it's it's a bit squishy because um, I actually I asked one of our, our team members who was a developer, game developer in the <laughs> 1980s. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Dagger, she worked for um, Presage Software, which is a contractor to Broderbund and uh, Interplay. I've heard the name. And so I asked her, I said, what, how, how did you guys come up with those numbers back then? Because I'm trying to, you know, give this estimate on Sarkans. And she said, well, <laughs> it was uh, a little, it was more art than science. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny you use Ultima Six as a as a comparison because I think, I mean, I've seen people pass it faster than this, but you know, me, I can polish it off in eighty odd minutes. Um, but that's big, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, certainly mileage will vary from the individual. And, and I mean, like that, that obviously yeah. comes from having played it through at length and much longer length yep. many many times before, right? And just sort of understanding. Oh, you can skip the entire second act, and you just have to do this, 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 and this. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's different than drinking in the complete content that the game has to offer. And so, you know, yeah. if I was going to do that, then yes, I would be sinking many, many hours into the game for sure. So, sure. Awesome. And then one nice thing, too, is that uh, one thing we, we paid attention to in the game design was the reality that the modern CRPG enthusiast exists in. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like when we were kids and we could just, you know, dedicate... Uh, a weekend or a summer or whatever, you know, to, yeah. you know, playing a game. Uh, the, and there's uh, a lot of, you know, interruptions and uh, it's, it's, you know, kind of chunks of time here and there is, is, is uh, you know, just kind of the reality of it. So we, we took that into consideration with features like saving the game, for example. You can save the game anywhere. Uh, it, it's, it's not... Uh, a bit RPG where you can only save in the tavern, and you know once you leave the tavern, you're off on your own for you know your 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 journey. And but you know don't screw up because otherwise you know you're 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 restoring from your last save in the tavern. No, it's, 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 it's not uh, be able to save the game anywhere. Uh, we we didn't uh, like totally water it down though. I mean it is going to be a hard game, you know, just like the games of the '80s often were. It'll be hard. It'll be challenging. It, it, it just isn't going to make you, you know, lose playtime over needing to stop at a random, you know, unexpected moment because the rest of one's life uh, uh, intervenes. For sure. For sure. Um, my time grows short, but before we wrap things up, um, is there anything else that we haven't yet covered that you uh, really want to make sure that uh, people know about the game or about the Kickstarter campaign, anything else you'd like to share? Uh, yeah. Th- thanks for asking. Actually, um, I've managed to kind of bury the lead here, but uh, I have some, uh, I'm excited to share some very recent news. Uh, Lord British will be found in Nox Archaeist. Really? Uh, 
Yes, uh, we're collaborating with Richard Garriott on the specifics of the role. Uh, and uh, I'm confident that we will do our favorite monarch justice uh, in the safe bit appearance. That, that is truly awesome news. I, uh, I look forward to hearing that or seeing that, I guess, rather seeing that and seeing what sort of uh, misadventures he might get up to. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely very excited about that. And uh, speaking of misadventures, um, as the game engine programmer, I appreciate the awesome responsibility this entails to make sure that there are no frigates, lead plates, or other hazards that enter his presence. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, you could go either way, right? Like in the early Ultimas, he was supposed to be genuinely, truly invulnerable. Uh, I think up to about Ultima 6, he was supposed to be genuinely, truly not yeah. killable, invulnerable, and players always, always, always found a way. <laughs> the, 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 exactly. Ultima 3 was the frigate, and uh, the lead plate was, uh, uh, I think that might have been Ultima 6, actually. But yeah, there were, like you said, they always found a way. Um, and actually, that's, that's a fair question. And, and, and we hadn't gotten to that point in the discussion. I'll, I'll have to ask him. Does he want me to make him invulnerable or as invulnerable as programming can, or, or does he want to play it more like later Ultimas where I, I think, let me kind of, I, I think we were going with that is eventually kind of became a running gag that there was intentionally an Easter egg put yeah. in there. I so, mean, he, uh, he wasn't a character in Serpentile so much. He appeared in the dream sequence yeah. and I don't think you could kill him in that, but I never really tried. Um, he's not really a factor in Ultima 8 at all. So his two post Ultima 6 appearances, his two main post Ultima 6 appearances are, um, Ultima 7 and Ultima 9. And you can kill him in both of those games, but the ways that you go about it can only be deliberately put in there, right? In Ultima 7, he has to be positioned under that sign in the doorway in the castle, and you double-click the sign and it falls on him, which is based on a real-life event. A sign or a signpost or something fell and hit him on the head as he was coming out of the office one day. Um, yes, yes, exactly. I remember that. Yep. Um, but again, like that is something that was clearly inserted on purpose. And similarly in Ultima 9, the only way to kill Lord British is to bake bread on earth and use the rat poison on it and then be carrying the bread with you as you go through the moon gate to Britannia. And all the other items that you have with you when you go through the moon gate, you don't have on the other side except the loaf of bread. So again, clearly put in there on purpose. No way that wasn't was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially because, exactly. you know, they then had to script the sequence where you put the bread on his plate and he steps away from his throne, goes and eats it, dies. So. Yeah, uh, th th those, those, are, uh, those are great memories. And, uh, you know, it really creates, th this is going to be a really interesting experience for the player because in the later Ultimas, you know, players knew what to expect, that there was going to be an Easter egg. And the question was, what was it? In the earlier Ultimas, players knew what to expect. Lord British is invulnerable unless they can find some error uh, or exploit in the program he was invulnerable uh and and in 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 nox archaist where it's like okay we're going back in time here making this retro rpg which is it going to be yes. you know honestly it hasn't been decided but it will get decided at some point and i'm thinking we're not telling <laughs> well yeah no, of course i mean players and people can figure have fun sure figuring it out is is there a way is there not the way or you know is there supposed to be a way <laughs> but it's cool enough that he's going to be a character in the game that's awesome so look forward to uh to tripping over that particular easter egg when i have a chance to all yeah absolutely um and uh so he asked if there uh, was anything else um uh, for uh, mentioning on the uh the, the game and one thing i did want to mention is that uh something else i think players will find uh, refreshing in, in a CRPG is uh, Nox or Chaos really blends together uh, storyline and combat. Uh, in, in Whereas uh, the, the RPGs of, of the 80s tended to be kind of pure grinders or they were like all story. Uh, like King's Quest was like 100% story. And then you had your grinders like... Uh, Wizardry, Bard's Tale, and so forth. Ultima was kind of in between there, um, but uh, not not. It was like combat and story were really kind of a very separate thing in the early Ultimas. So what we tried to do was have both elements, but also kind of uh, tie them together more, so that, for example, um, 
you know, you might uh, uh, get into a, a, a combat encounter where in order to solve that encounter, there's things that you need to know about the storyline to do it. Like maybe that particular uh, enemy is only vulnerable to a particular tactic or you need to have a special item or maybe the enemy is just not able to be defeated unless you, you solve some kind of puzzle outside of the combat scenario to destroy, you know, that enemy's source of power. Um, or, or maybe in a combat scenario, uh, you, you actually learn some information that's then relevant clues in the storyline. Um, so uh, we're hoping that, that the players find that as, as an engaging experience uh, and, uh, you know, to kind of keep it interesting throughout. Awesome. All right. So I guess just before we wrap up, um, important question, where can people find out more? Well, uh, to uh, check out our Kickstarter, go to uh, kickstarter.noxarchaos.com and that'll take you right to the campaign page. Uh, the game also has a uh, website with a wealth of uh, additional information on it, and that would be at www.noxarchaos.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I will make sure that all gets included in the show notes. So do check those out. And yes, um, look for Nox Archaist on Kickstarter. Well, that is all the time I have. But uh, thank you for, uh, because I know that you also have a pretty darn busy schedule. So uh, thank you for finding time to uh, sit down for a bit of a chat. Oh, you're welcome. And, and thank you. I appreciate it. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com, or if you're feeling a bit braver, you can leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. You're also welcome to join us on Discord to chat with us and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. If you want to join the Ultimate Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultimate Dragons on Facebook and on Google+. You can follow at Ultimate Dragons on Twitter or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes, that helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spam 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 humbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous.